The following sermon is from City Life Church. For more information about City Life Church, please visit us at clcgreenwood.com. Morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good. Good to see you all today. I'm glad to be back with you. Um, what do you guys think for our new format? You like it? You guys are like, we have a new format? <laughs> uh, so instead of being up here doing videos in front of you, we sh- are shooting videos now uh, for announcements. And then we have kind of all of our intro stuff, our Tri-5, City Groups, all that. Um, so I'm really excited to be back with you guys. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I have been away for about 16 days, being able to train church planters. And all of the places that I went, uh, God showed me some incredible things about, uh, honestly, just kind of shoring up what we're doing here, and I'm going to share a little bit about that with you today as we jump in and get started. But um, we're starting a new series today, and this is going to lead us up to Easter, because Easter is that one time of year where we can actually see a lot of people come into church for the very first time, because they're going to get a personal invitation from you, right? Okay, so we're going to do that one more time, so I need everybody to say yes, because here's what happens. When you invite somebody, they are 80% likely to come with you because you personally invited them with your lips, not your fingers. Make sense? Okay. And so you're all going to invite somebody to Easter services, right? Okay, perfect. And so this is what we're leading up to. The two things we're going to be covering leading up. Number one, for the next four weeks, we're talking about generosity. The reason why, and that may sound weird to you, but the reason why is I think God wants to do something truly incredible with us, specifically you, if you can get this piece of your life down in regards to him. And the second one we're going to cover is fasting and prayer, okay? Now, both of these things are meant to stretch you. And because we need to grow to a deeper level of relationship with Jesus. Fasting and prayer is one of the things that will lay us bare before Jesus. And we will watch him do incredible things in our lives as we trust him for this. So I've given you like a really long heads up for this. Because starting in the very first week we talk about this, we are going to participate in a fast together. Now don't freak out just yet because there's multiple levels of fasting we can do. But the whole point is we're going to sacrifice and get a hold of Jesus but we're going to talk about generosity first, okay? So before we go there, the name of this series is Generosity, Do You Trust Me? As you can see from our videos, because this is the one question every single person in this room has to wrestle with and answer back to God. Do you trust me? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I just want to come before you, and I thank you so much for everything that you're doing here at City Life. You have given us incredible favor as we have seen so many people come to know you, Jesus, through the word. They've surrendered their lives to you. They are now living for you, Jesus. And the things that you are doing to just kind of position us, honestly, God, to be used in much greater ways by you is really, really exciting for me. So God, as we have started our discipleship pathway, people have already been going through uh, kind of our sessions together. We have a new one coming up. Father, for uh, those that scored threes and fours, this is where we're really going to see this turn the corner for us. Because as we disciple and as other people disciple other people, God, this is everything that you meant this to be. And this is what is going to strengthen us as a church, as individuals, and let us be of more use to you in this city. We love you, God, and we pray that you would open our hearts right now to understand what you want to say to us about generosity. We love you. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. 
So here's kind of a quick overview of my trip. Uh, I actually flew out last or a couple Sunday nights ago after I preached and did an overnight flight, landed in Manchester, England, drove straight to the church, and we started uh, these teaching sessions right away. I was in Manchester, England, Paris, back to Manchester. Then I went to Geneva, Switzerland. Then I went across the border to Ambi, France. Then I went down to Marseille, France. Then I went to London. And we had a very, very full packed schedule. But here's what God did through all of this. So here's the question I asked before I left. Europe is about 20 years culturally ahead of us, meaning that the, the, the gospel and the Bible have zero relevance in this, this nation, this country, okay? So rewind about 20 years, and they would be in the spot that we're in now, stuck in between a post-Christian and a pre-Christian culture, right? So here's what that means for us. We still have generations who have had some upbringing inside of a church, and so, but they don't go anymore because they don't see the relevancy of it any longer. And that would be what we would call a post-Christian. But now with the Generation Z and the one right behind them, these are going to be our start of pre-Christian nations. This is where Europe has been for quite some time. Pre-Christian nation means when you say the name of Jesus and you start to explain who he is and what he has done, it literally is like the first time their ears have ever heard this. We are stuck right in the middle of that, which brings a lot of negativity and cynicism, but also a lot of excitement, both. And here's where they're both clashing. So I said, okay, God, is there a way we in the U.S. can get in front of this before we go fully a pre-Christian nation? And I said, I'm just going to ask you to just show me if that's possible. I feel like he did. I feel like he showed me that this is absolutely possible, but it's going to require radical obedience on our part. It's going to require radical changes to be made in our lives as followers of Jesus. It's going to require us to shift things from the way we've always done them to things that are going to be viewed as, that's not how we've always done that, but hey, that seems to be working. And it's going to shift our cultures. It's going to shift our mindsets. It's going to shift the way this place looks. It's going to shift the way that you view your life as a follower of Jesus. But here's what I can tell you. The U.S. is rapidly trending downward in its followers of Jesus. We are at 26% now, okay? Make sure you caught that because just a few years ago, we were about 50% as a nation. We're at 26% now. Now, of those 26%, the ones that would say, no, I'm actually obediently living this out for Jesus is much, much lower. We don't even know that number, but 26% of the U.S. claims to be followers of Jesus. Of all of the locations I was just at overseas, they are all under 1%. Some of them being 0.02%, okay? Now, I want you to imagine that culture and what you would think the Christians would be like over there, okay? Because I know this is what I pictured, to go over to see a bunch of disgruntled, upset, it's everybody against us Christians. But here's what I found. I did not meet one person who is not looking through the eyes, what I would say Jesus has literally awakened them to that said, oh, no, 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 don't get this wrong. We're 1% now, but it is rapidly growing. God is multiplying. We're seeing people come to Jesus every single day. This nation is changing in front of us. We're so excited about what God is doing and the way that they are talking about the gospel moving through these cities that doesn't want anything to do with them absolutely inspired me and, and honestly also made me so sad about the way that we see Jesus here in this country. But church, they 
are absolutely on fire. But listen to me, and they are actually praying for us because they want us to experience the same joy that they're experiencing, the same blessing and favor from God they're experiencing. And it all has to do with this radical obedience that we're talking about. And if we are going to see multiplication happen rapidly through this country, through this city, through your lives, it is going to require us tuning in and listening to what God has to say starting here. Because that is the most generous place I have ever been in my life, in a place where under 1% of them actually love Jesus. Truly incredible. It literally changed my life. It's absolutely so exciting. I can't wait to just continue to share this with you guys. But what I want to do is I want to tell you, I don't want you to hear this number 26% and that we're rapidly going down and go, oh my gosh, I wonder if I should bail before this gets too bad. (laughs) The answer to that is no. And if you bail, we'll kill you. (laughs) In the name of Jesus, of course. But I want you to be excited about this, you guys, because this is where Jesus is moving. He's allowing these things to happen. He's showing us that, "Hey, hey, hey, I'm not done with this. In fact, if you're willing and you want to listen and you'll be obedient and you'll shift some things in your life, I'll actually use you to make this happen. How incredible is that? You, everybody sitting here today, do you want to be the ones used by God to shift the culture of a nation? Yeah? Okay, good. You and the four of us will go together, okay? All right, so here's where we're going to go. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians, um, but before we do, we've got to do a little bit of work getting up here. And so gratitude is one of these things that, that breeds generosity, okay? And today, here's, here's kind of our series wrapping. Is generosity, do you trust me? This is the question everybody has to answer. But then we're going to have four lines for the next four weeks outside of that. Today is you have to see everything as a gift, Okay. You have to see everything as a gift. So we're trying to move you from this spot of pride to contentment, okay? From pride to contentment. This is where we're immediately going to start this series off because here's why. If I think everything that I have came from me, my hard work, and my success, then I absolutely do not get what God is doing in my life. This is the first thing we have to reshape about our lives, Okay, let me read you a few things. We're going to be working through a book called True Riches, where I'm going to be pulling some of these things out of. But I want you to understand what God is trying to say and do with you. And I want to invite you on a journey with me. If you're willing to walk through this with me, taking serious Jesus' commands and letting your life be marked by radical obedience, we will change this culture and Jesus is going to use you to do it. Today, we need to move from pride to gratitude. Now, to understand this, pride, I have shared my stories with you and how God has shaped me in radical humility because he publicly humiliated me with my pride. And one of the examples that this book uses is this weed called kudzu. And I know that you've seen this because it's a greenery that covers everything, okay? You can Google it later, look it up. But it's, it's really pretty, it's really leafy, but it is one of the most destructive things that there is currently in the U.S., This was actually originated as a a porch shade to bring shade to people's houses. That was just a few hundred years ago. It has now grown and taken over a quarter of the United States. They have no idea how to get rid of this stuff. So normally what they do is they chop it, they pull it up, they try to destroy it, and then it lies dormant, and then all of a sudden it comes back with a bigger fury than it was there before. 
It is currently rapidly taking over 50,000 baseball field equivalents. This is how they measure this each season, which is a 60 day season. This is how rapidly and fast this grows. And what these guys are doing is they're taking this and they're putting this back over to our pride to show how deeply rooted it is and how rapidly it grows and how if you cut and chop and strip that pride away, it's still always lying there. And the only thing that will actually remove it from you is an encounter with Jesus. But this is where you and I have to do a little bit of work because I guarantee me just saying the word pride and that you have it currently inside of you is starting to boil something inside of you. Some of you, it's more than others. Some of you, there's, there is a side of humility to you that's like, I know, man, I hate it so much and I want to get rid of it out of my life. For some of you, you are trying not to hear the words coming out of my mouth because the pride is so heavily rooted in you right now. And I understand because I've been both sides of that. But what I want you to understand and know about this is pride is the one single thing that will keep you constantly fighting against God. Pride is the one thing that in the Bible says he is actually fighting against you. And so I need you to just be honest about this in your life. And listen to me, there is no reason and no badge of honor to carry this with you out of these doors today. So could you actually be broken of your pride today? The answer to that is absolutely yes. Some of you are really close on the scale of pride down here. Some of you are much nearer to humility than others in this room. But you have to answer the question, do you trust God with this? Specifically, we're talking about your finances. Because this is where we watch this played out the most in the Bible. Jesus, when he was here for those preaching for these three short years, there's almost 2,500 verses on money, possessions, and our hearts and how they're tied to them. There's a few hundred on heaven and hell, the places we'll spend eternity. Why? Well, because Jesus knew and understood that during this life, our hearts would be so tied to money, and that would be the one thing that would distract us more than anything else in the world. And so he constantly, every 10 verses in the Gospels, addresses money, possessions, and how our hearts are supposed to react to them. This is a really, really serious deal to Jesus. And it needs to be to us too. The one thing that will keep us constantly circling back around our pride is we just don't think Jesus is talking to us about this. We feel like we have this under control. We feel like we are generous people. We feel like we do give of our resources and our finances, our time, our calendars, all of those things. And so you're going to maybe start to turn this off. Please don't do that today. I need this to go all the way to the deepest part of your core of who you are to really truly listen to what God is saying to you. So here's the two choices we have. Pride says, take a look around. Look at what you've done. Great job. You did it. You have money, retirement, house, cars, and vacations. Gratitude says, God, I cannot believe you have blessed me with all of this. It's because of you I have any of this. That is a rapid, different change on what will come out of your mouth on pride or gratitude. You have to decide which one of those statements will be true about you. And some of you may land in the middle, but let me read you something. 
part of this book, he says, pride in our hearts is a bit like this kuja, this weed I was talking about. It's in there, even if we've recently chopped it down to size, when we least expect it, it might pop back up again. We begin to imagine our own efforts that have brought about the good things in our lives. We can hack away at our pride, but only a true experience of God's grace can conquer this pest. Without that, pride swallows up our gratitude, robbing us of the joy of God's unmerited favor in much the same way kudzu costs hundreds of millions of dollars in damage in the U.S. each year. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis notes that pride is the spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment and even common sense. (laughs) Because this is what pride does, man. It's so destructive in our lives. So as we move into 2 Corinthians, let me start to ask you some questions. What, what is happening inside of you when I'm telling you the difference between pride and gratitude and how you're thinking about, oh, wow, I would have definitely answered my hard work is what got me where I'm at. I, I would have answered that, you know, hey, yeah, God made me, but I'm the one who goes out there and I work and my successes and I've worked hard in school and I've gotten promotions because of my merit and my work ethic, would have you answered that way? Or would have you said, yeah, I mean, God created me for sure, and that is the only reason I have any of this, because he gave me favor. He showed me what to do in those jobs, and he's the one who lined up these opportunities for me. I just walked through the doors and used what he gave me. So this is the big difference of you holding your success in your hand and you knowing where your success came from. This is going to dictate the way that you view generosity is your pride or your gratitude. So let's look at 2 Corinthians 9. I want to just share with you some scripture, a few verses here, what Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. And he's talking about them taking up some money to support some of the missionaries. And we kind of picked this up mid-thought, but here's what he says. The point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. We'll come back and talk through this. But the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as they have decided in their hearts, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. Now, if you go back up to verse 6, it's odd to me that he uses this sowing and reaping example. But this is an example that would have made sense to them because they were surrounded by farming communities. Okay, And they would have understood putting seed in the ground and then reaping a harvest at the end. Now, what Jesus is talking about through this whole entire thing, writing through Paul, is the way that we view what we quote unquote have, okay? Now, let me me make something very clear to you. If you give out of your excess, that is not generosity because you don't miss that. Let me just make sure that is very clear to everybody because some of you might now be saying, oh, no, I give money to people all the time. Okay, but does it actually affect you? Because if you're giving out of your overflow, that is not generosity. That is you just not having as much stuff as you could. But it is not challenging your heart in the least to say, I'm going to sacrifice and be obedient and give this away because God told me to. See, the thing that you have to understand about this verse is the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. This is the life that you're going to produce for yourself. If you hold all of your stuff in your hands so tightly to you, 
You never want to let it go because the rainy day is going to come. The bottom's going to fall out. The air conditioner's going to go out. The car's going to break down. The stock market's going to tank. All of those things. And you feel like with you holding and hoarding those resources, that is going to get you through. Do you realize that with one push of a button, with one snap of a finger by God, all of that stuff can be wiped away from you and everything you held was so futile and empty and it just goes through your hands like sand? Like this is literally equivalent. We know this but yet we try so hard to keep a hold of it. Why? Because if my pride has told me everything that you have built for yourself, you have to hold on to, that's why. Because I will hold this with everything I have. Now, on the other hand, if I understand that gratitude is what got me everything that I have, and God has blessed me, and yes, I have worked hard, and I have pursued Jesus, and I have, I have worked overtime, and I have worked extra, and I studied extra hard in school, and God has blessed me along the way, but my hands are open, and I say, God, none of this is even mine. I didn't work for this. You gave me these opportunities. I worked hard, and yes, I achieved these, but it was because of you, and he pulls it out of your hand. You're still exactly the same as you were when you had this mountain of money there. You know why? Because you realize it didn't come from you anyways. And it can come right back to you if God chooses to do that. There's a massive difference between us saying, no, 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 I give to people out of my excess, reaping and sowing sparingly, or the person who sows generously will also reap generously. This kind of leads us into the next verse. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, Each person, person should do as he or she has decided in their hearts, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, now, we here at City Life, we still pass a bucket, all right? Uh, I'll tell you where this has come from. This has kind of evolved over the years. We started out in a movie theater, our very first church. We showed up for our very first service and realized we had no way to collect offering. So I go to the concession stand, ask the guy for a couple popcorn buckets, and there it was birthed, okay? And so we took up our very first offering and some popcorn buckets. It just stuck. We bought our own nice popcorn buckets, and that stuck. And somehow we're with trash cans. I'm not sure what the heck that's about, but... Um, <laughs> We still do the buckets. Okay, so anyways, let's say that these are passing by you, all right? Let's say that the lights are on and everybody's watching who gives what, okay? Now, out of compulsion, I could reach in and pull something out because you're watching me. Does not impress God. Or I can say, man, this thing's gone by me a couple weeks. I feel like I should give something. Okay, I'm gonna put something in. Now, reluctantly... As this comes by each week, I'm like, dang it, man, I tried to sit in the row. This wasn't going to come by. If you just sit one person to a row, they normally walk past you, but here's the bucket again, okay? So I'm going to reluctantly put this money in, <laughs> okay? Now, each person should do as they've decided in their heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion. Do you realize God does not need your reluctant gift? Do you realize that? Okay? Do you also realize that your gift of compulsion, although some of you could write a really large check that would really benefit city life, does not impress him? Because I, I promise you, church, I could stand up here and I could manipulate your emotions to give a lot of money. But for what? You could, you could compulsively give a large chunk of money. We could take a really big offering. We could help tons of people in the city and we could feel good about ourselves 
But for what reason? That's not what God's after. He's not after your impulsive giving. He's not under your reluctant gift back to him. I, I just want to clarify something for you guys real quick, okay? If you say you tithe, okay, that is the standard word we use for giving money back to God. You can decipher this all which ways you want, okay? Old Testament, it was a little bit bigger. This is where the word tithe came from. It was 10%. It was deca. Well, that does translate into the New Testament, just so you know. So if you're going to say you tithe and you do not give 10% of your income back to God, I need you to erase that from your vocabulary because it's not true. You're just giving money. Because see, here's God's expectation. Hey, I've blessed you. I've given you your money. I'm just telling you, you need to give 10% back. That's the non-negotiable, okay? When I give 10% back to him, I am tithing. Anything on top of that is called an offering, okay? I mean, think about this, okay? If I were to walk out here with my Bible and I was to hand it over here to Joyce, okay? I know Joyce is going to read this, all right? And I'm going to hand my Bible to Joyce. And then at the end of the day, I'm going to come back up here and I'm going to say, Joyce, hey, would you mind just bringing my Bible back to me? And Joyce, as she brings this back to me, she's like, Mike, you're not even going to believe this incredible gift I'm about to give you. Joyce, thank you so much. And she says, hey, I went and I got this Bible and I want to present it back to you. And I'm like, Joyce, I'm not sure if you stopped by the pub on the way over, but this is my Bible I gave you, remember? <laughs> Thank you, Joyce. Let's give it up for Joyce, right? <laughs> okay, this is what happens when we say, um, I mean, I guess I'll give this back to you. God, 10% is a lot of money. Like, you've blessed me. I've made some money. To me, to give 10% back to you, I mean, this is a big gift to you. He's like, wait, I gave that to you first. I just told you to give it back to me because it has to do with your obedience and to see if you're going to be prideful or generous. This is what it's like to give something to, back to God that's already his in the first place. Sounds really silly, doesn't it? Because this is not how we should view tithing. Tithing and this generous giving because God loves a cheerful giver. I, I want to ask you if you've ever done this before. Whether you go online and you give or whether you have some, you know, regular payments set up or whether you give through the buckets, whatever. Do you ever say, God, I'm going to give this. Will you just bless this and multiply this and do something with it that I could never even imagine? Here, I, I'm, I'm so grateful to be able to do this because this is what you commanded me to do. Have you ever tried that with your giving? Because it says God loves a cheerful giver. But man, we so reluctantly part with this so many times. There's just not a whole lot of cheer around this, it doesn't seem like. It seems like this is one of the things that each time we do our budgets and each time that we see that register going out, that's a big number, man, for a lot of us. And for some of you, that's going to decide how many groceries you buy or not. And I get that. But remember the question, do you trust me? God says, hey, I know what you need. Do you trust me? Are you willing to live out of gratitude or are you going to continue to live in pride? Because church, here's what I can tell you. I've lived on both sides of this. I've been very successful in the business world. I've had large amounts of money. I assure you, they were fun. No doubt. They do nothing for you. 
When you buy something, it's new and it's fresh and it's fun, and then it's just the thing, right? It doesn't stay that way. It doesn't keep its shiny everything that you thought it would be. It's just a thing now. Whether it's the new phone or a new car or a new house, it doesn't matter what it is. You strive and you save and you work and you do everything you can to get this thing. You get the thing and then it's just a thing. And it's like, wow, that was disappointing, (laughs) if we're going to be honest. But this cheerful giving changes everything. Reluctancy is not what God is after. Compulsion does not impress him. He loves cheerful giving. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, In God is able to make every grace overflow to you. You remember what grace is? It's an undeserved favor to us. It says he is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need. Make sure you understand that does not say everything you want, right? It's everything you need. Because this is the next shift in our controlling, prideful way of viewing things, or this contempt that he's trying to breed in us through generosity and gratitude. If I am willing to trust God, he says, do you trust me? And I say, yes. He says, good. Then I'm going to give you every grace. I'm going to make it all overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. You know what that literally means? You will not need anything from anybody. You're not going to be somebody that needs supported by the system. You're not going to be somebody who has to move and go eat at other people's houses because you can't afford it. This is not what he's saying. I'm not saying go live in poverty. He's saying, do you trust me? Because I'm trying to stretch you and do something with you if you're willing to operate out of gratitude. Know where this comes from. And it wasn't you, right? See, what he's doing is he's trying to shift our mindset here to understand what we already know. Who controls this and where it comes from? See, it's funny because I've heard this a lot. Well, if I lived in a third world country where there was no plumbing and no water and all this, this would be so much easier. Would it, though, honestly? Because you would be looking across the pond to America going, man, if I just lived there, I could serve God so much easier because I wouldn't have to worry about all these basic things in life. I promise you it wouldn't change at all. This is a heart issue, not a surroundings issue. You just have more things vying for your heart here. That money is the source of them. See, there's this weird comfort that is brought to us when we know that we can cash in and retire and still live the lifestyle that we have lived our whole life. There's something comforting to that. But you know what's weird about everybody that I've talked to in retirement? They're always worried that that's going to be wiped out. Like, there's no guarantee that that's going to stay there, sustain you. You're going to live the lifestyle you want. You may have to work until the day you drop dead. But there's something that happens inside where it gives me comfort. Ah, okay, I've built this my whole life. I've put into this and this and I have retirement and okay, I can do this. I can retire. But then there's this other side of this pressure that says, man, at any day though, this whole thing could fall out and I could have to get a job again. Well, see, that is operating out of the basis of pride because you built that. It's your funds. You have worked real hard to get this and you are now reaping the benefits of that. But if 
you answered this question, do you trust me? He says, sure, be, be wise and plan for the future, absolutely. But do you trust me if I take all that away from you? Because remember, I'll make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. Do you trust me? This is the question that we have to answer through this generosity series. Gratitude or pride? We're going to operate out of one of those two spaces. So, I want to show you something from Mark, one of the gospel uh, of Mark that Jesus is talking about. This is pretty incredible. I think will help shift our mindset a little bit. So, let's go to Mark chapter 12. This is where we're going to wrap up, and I'm just going to ask you a couple questions. Mark 12, starting in verse 41, here's what it says. Sitting across from the temple treasury, he watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. So Jesus saw this as a teaching moment. So he's sitting across the street. He's watching this happen. And literally, if you read some of the commentaries, it says these, the wealthy were literally dropping bags of money in. Bags, okay, of gold. This widow comes by, and she puts two little coins on the equivalent to one penny in our system today, okay? So verse 41, he says, okay, teaching moment. Disciples, come over here. So summoning the disciples, he said to them, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Now, if we pause the story there, I would imagine they're looking across as like, Jesus, we should probably get you an eye doctor appointment because I'm not sure you saw what just happened here, right? Because they're thinking of the visuals of who is putting what sizable amounts in. But then he addresses this. He says in 44, for they gave, all gave out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has put everything she had, all she had to live on. Wow. This will make you come face to face with the question of whether you trust God or not. She did. The guys that went by and dropped bags of money in, it was impressive. I'm sure the, the temple loved it. But it did nothing to impress Jesus. Because they came by, and these were the Pharisees and the wealthy people. And, and it, the story goes, as they would do, just like they would pray in public, they would make sure everybody was watching them. They would pray really loud so everyone could hear how eloquent their speech was. When they walked by the treasury to drop this in, they made sure everyone saw what they were doing. It was very loud, very showy, and very, very impressive. People wanted to be like them. People looked at this and said, man, those guys, they have to love God so much. Jesus is sitting on the other side of the road and was like, no, that's, that's not impressive at all. They all gave out of their excess. So they went into their storeroom and out of the 500 bags of gold they had, they pulled one out and dropped that in and they'd never missed it because they had 499 more sitting in there. But this lady, because she was operating out of this gratitude, she takes the last amount of money she has, which didn't even amount to anything hardly. I'm sure no one paid attention to her. No one was impressed by her gift. And God said, truly, that one is the one who is blessed today because she gave out of her 
did not give out of her surplus, but out of her poverty, everything she had. She answered the question, do you trust me? Yes, I do, God. Yes, I do. Because I know that you're going to give me all of the graces I need in my life. You're going to supply everything that I need in every area of my life, and you're going to bless me through every good work. Yes, I trust you. See, if you're like me, the first time I had to wrestle through this, there is something inside of you that literally could nauseate you about this, and I'm just being honest with you. Because some of you right now, man, it's, it's turning and it's churning and you're thinking about, oh, am I really supposed to do this? Well, it depends. You say you want God's blessings, but if you sow selfishly, the blessings you get are going to be very small, if any. But if you want to truly experience what God has for your life, truly, then you will generously sow and you will generously reap the grace in every area of your life and you will not be without what you need. Church, this is a major shift, especially for us here in the U.S. Everything we do revolves around money. Everything we do revolves around the security of our accounts and how well we feel and how our portfolio is doing and how our stocks are trending and this is our world. We can get so tied to this, we can forget who holds all of this in his hands. And if you're willing to answer this question of, do you trust me and go on this journey with us? Here's what I can promise you from scripture. The anxiety that money produces in you right now, if you will actually do this, I promise you, you get to lay that, all that down. Because you've come to the realization you don't control it anyway. And you've come to the realization that it's so much better to live with contentment of generosity and gratitude than it is for me to think I can control sand that's slipping through my hand. Because that's what it's like. Let me read you something and then I'm going to ask you a few questions. Jesus wrote to a church in Revelations called Laodicea. Here's what he said. This is an excerpt and then the verse. He says, Laodicea, like many nations today, was prosperous and proud of it. Many citizens had plumbing. There was a town theater and the marketplace teemed with activity. They had cutting-edge medical technology and you could buy goods from Asia, Africa, or Italy, all without leaving town. They took pride in how well off they were even refusing government assistance when, from Rome when recovering from a terrible earthquake, taking on a we-can-do-it-ourselves spirit. But Jesus had strong words for the affluent church in Laodicea. He said, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I would rather you be cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. This verse has been so misconstrued over the years. It literally has everything to do with the way that you view what you get from God or not has everything to do with gratitude. 
Laodicea was the wealthiest church in the land, and they knew it, and they were very proud of it. And God says, you're not even for me anymore. You as a church, you're so proud of your possessions and what you've done. You didn't even need Rome's help. You recovered by yourself from a devastating earthquake. But this is what I have against you. You're not cold or hot. You're right in the middle. You're lukewarm. You're trying to play this game because your success has been dependent on you out of your pride. So I stand at the door and knock. He says, to those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. This is for every follower of Jesus in this room. He loves you enough to let you hear this today. To reprove you and discipline you means, hey, listen to me, you're not on the right track. You have cared far too much about your finances. You have taken credit about your successes. I'm not okay with that. I'm the one who gave you what you have. I'm the reason why you have what you have. So let that pride go, move to gratitude and generosity, and then I will come in and I will be with you and you will be with me. That's when I'm going to cover your life in the grace. But did you notice a key word there? You got to repent. You got to repent. See, for some of us, we have to, number one, admit this, which is going to be pretty hard for a lot of us. Because it's really hard for us to see where we've gotten off track in our life. But the first step for you is you have to admit this. Then you have to confess that back to God. And you got to say, man, God, I, <laughs> I've not given you credit for any of this. I've taken the credit. Please forgive me. Now, repentance in this area is going to take a little bit more time. Because remember the whole tithing thing that I said? Some of you, if you gave 10% right now, it would bankrupt you. That's not the goal. That's not the point. The point is for you to work to that out of obedience to God, and you can do that rapidly. But for some of you, we're so strapped financially right now, we can't give back to God if we want to. Listen, that's not his fault. We've been caught in a trap of these idea of riches and what we should have, and we have stretched ourselves so thin that, man, right now, some of us can't even be obedient to God. And I know that that's got to grieve your heart. I know it certainly grieves his. What I want you to understand about this is you working your way back to him right now is where this should start for you. Number one, you have to admit this is tr the truth about your life or not. So not everybody in this room is living in pride. I get that. But you have to admit if this is you. God, please forgive me. Maybe you didn't never even knew this. Okay, now you do. Now you get the opportunity to move back towards God in this. So the second piece is going to take some time, that repentance. But the act of it is turning away from what you're pursuing and serving and moving back towards God. So we can help you walk through this. We actually have several financial counselors in this church that we can actually help you put budgets together. We can walk through this with you. We can help you get out from underneath that mountain of debt because it's going to take some practical application with this too. But your act of repentance is you've got to turn away from this. You've got to move away from this. Okay? Now, two questions. Number one, do you receive financial resources as a gift from God or do you view them as a product of your own success and hard work? Just answer that to yourself. Just be honest. Second question is, where are you on the spectrum from pride to gratitude? So, honestly, 
the things that you view in your life, are they from God or are they because of your hard work? You know you have an answer, just answer it. Second one, where are you on the spectrum from pride to gratitude? So with that being said, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm just going to ask you to be really honest here. Look, the, the one thing I want you to hear out of my mouth is none of this is supposed to be manipulating to where, you know, you're going to go online and give more money right now. That's not what this is about. It has nothing to do with this whatsoever. This has everything to do with your heart. Notice, it's not about the dollar amount. This little lady who was giving out of her poverty, God said, that is the one who's given the most has nothing to do with these dollar amounts. It does have to do with our obedience, though. So if you're not a follower of Jesus in this room, I know that this might have been something that uh, would be really foreign to you to, to understand and kind of track with us through this. But here's, here's what I'll say to you. I, I don't want you to hear this and let it deter you away from a relationship with Jesus because the one thing that I want you to know is there's freedom in all of this. And right now, if you are without Jesus in this room, you are in bondage, not freedom. What I want you to understand is the way that you view salvation as the greatest gift God has ever given. And we want to have a conversation with you about that if you're in this room and you do not have a relationship with him. What that means is maybe your life is really good. Maybe you're one of the ones that can write a really big check and you're successful and all of those things. But inside, you know something else has to be to this life. Well, we think that that is salvation in Jesus. And we just want to share that with you, what that means. And so if you would be willing here in, the, in just a few minutes when I'm done praying, if you would just meet us back on those couches there in the back, ask any question you want, we'll walk with you. It is a safe place for you to come back and just have a conversation. But then for those of you that are followers of Jesus in this room, what I want you to have heard from today is if you are operating out of pride, two things. Number one, just confess it to him. He knows it. So do you. Confess it to him. And then let's start to work in repentance away from that. But two, what I want you to know and understand is this is where freedom lies. There's nothing constricting about this gratitude. This is true freedom in Jesus because our hearts will be tied to him, not anything else. So your work right now to do is, number one, if this is true about you, recognize it, confess it to him. And let's start working an act of repentance away from it. We want to help you with this if you need it. So come back and grab one of us. Let's pray together. Let's walk through this together. Let's move back towards gratitude with Jesus. We love you, God, and we just pray that you'll move on our hearts right now. Let us just take this serious and understand that freedom is truly here. We love you so much and thank you for your word. In Jesus' name.